0: Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Editor of Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brenda Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today Attorney Asha Jackson from the law firm of Carlock, Copeland & Stair in Atlanta, Georgia. Asha is a partner with the firm with extensive experience defending professional malpractice claims and she is also a litigation committee member in the American Healthcare Lawyers Association. Thanks very much for joining us today, Asha. Thank you. Today's topic centers on a Georgia Supreme Court ruling in which HIPAA bars defense attorneys from informally speaking to an injured victim's physicians. And Brendan Noonan will lead off today with our first question. Uh, yes, Asha. Can you tell us a bit about this recent decision?
1: Sure. The decision was rendered by the Georgia Supreme Court on November 3, 2008, and essentially the decision focused on procedural safeguards to protect a disclosure of patients' private health information. Specifically, the decision reversed an appellate decision finding that the Georgia state privacy laws allowed ex parte communications with physicians. And essentially the Supreme Court found that the HIPAA federal law preempted the state law and provides more procedural safeguards for the protection of disclosure of a patient's private health information. And so what this means in the practical terms is that for attorneys defending physicians in medical malpractice cases who seek to speak with a plaintiff's prior treating physician, they have to do so by first disclosing that request to the plaintiff to allow notice and opportunity for an objection and or to obtain some sort of written authorization which would allow that defendant attorney to speak to a prior treating
0: physician. How will this impact current and future cases?
1: Well, that's a great question. With respect to current cases, if the disclosures were made prior to April of 2003, which is the effective date of the federal HIPAA law, then a attorney may possibly still be able to speak to a plaintiff's prior treating physicians. And this is because those disclosures were made prior to HIPAA becoming effective. Typically, in malpractice cases, they tend to stick around for anywhere between three to five years. So it's very possible that on the back end of that time frame, there may be some cases that would have been present and active prior to the enactment of HIPAA. However, going forward for current cases and for future cases, it would seem that this decision is going to require attorneys to obtain a written authorization from a plaintiff prior to speaking to that particular plaintiff's prior treating physician, and or it would require at the outset of litigation that the parties into some type of protective order issued by the court, which would allow uh, defense attorneys to be able to speak to prior treating physicians.
0: And Asha, how will this affect insurance defense litigation in Georgia?
1: Well, I'll tell you, there are some grave concerns here in Georgia about the cost of litigation for both plaintiffs and defendants. With the enactment of this law, it would seem that from a practical standpoint that litigation costs are going to go up because what's now required is that attorneys who wish to speak to treating physicians of a plaintiff will now have to depose those treating physicians. And along with that comes an added cost, a time cost, as well as an hourly cost for taking those depositions. In essence, the cost of those depositions will increase litigation costs, which will in turn increase costs for premiums paid by insured defendant doctors. And then eventually those costs will be passed down to consumers. And so, in essence, not only will the cost of litigation increase, but potentially health care costs will increase.
0: Uh, Will this decision influence how an attorney prepares for a case?
1: Sure. It used to be that when attorneys could speak to physicians in an informal setting, they would be able to sift through a lot of the issues on the front end, whittle down the issues in a lawsuit, and in most instances come to an agreement with the plaintiff and the plaintiff's attorneys about the number, manner, and method of physicians who will be presented at trial. Because of this decision, defense attorneys will now have to depose every single treating physician over the course of a potential plaintiff's treatment history and if you think about the lifespan of an average person and how many treating physicians they've seen over their lifespan that imposes a tremendous burden on the defense bar to be able to learn health information not just by way of records but then to in turn uh, have to interview and depose those treating physicians to learn their mental impressions thoughts and ideas and so it's going to protract the litigation and then it will add costs for both sides going forward.
0: And Asha, will other states be watching this uh, decision?
1: Well, it would seem that other states have already started to watch it. If, if you read the decision in Moreland versus Austin, the court cited some of the other state laws that deal with these uh, privacy protection issues. And so I think that this is going to be on the radar for most states because of the trickle-down effect of increasing litigation costs as a result of this decision.
0: Is there any chance for an appeal?
1: I think so. This case, Austin versus Moreland, did not deal with the state privacy protection law enacted when tort reform was enacted, commonly known as Senate Bill 3. Additionally, this decision does not restrict all ex parte communications with a physician. The court specifically held that other areas of communication such as scheduling the best manner and method for taking a deposition or learning the thoughts and impressions of a physician are not restricted by this decision. However, I think what will be a good appellate issue will be the fact that the court will specifically need to address in the coming months what will constitute consent to disclosure For example, the defense bar has always felt that when a plaintiff puts their health at issue, they have consented to disclosure of what would otherwise be protected health information under HIPAA. However, the plaintiff's bar is stating that the fact that a lawsuit is filed does not necessarily mean that the plaintiff is consenting to disclosure, and so I expect that there will be some fights as to what will constitute consent in the coming months.
0: Okay, Asha, thanks very much. We appreciate your taking the time to speak with us today.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: And that was Asha Jackson from the law firm of Carla, Copeland & Stair in Atlanta, Georgia. Special thanks to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message.